I think one is if you're feeling nervous, be honest about it. I always tell people that um, you can be honest with, and because everyone will empathize. Everybody is scared of somebody else. There isn't one person in the world who's not intimidated by someone else. And just like when somebody's intimidated by you, you think like, oh, what, why are you intimidated of me? You need not be. So always think about that in reverse. That just like somebody would come up to you feeling scared, what would you tell them? And tell yourself that. What's up, boys and girls? Welcome back to the Next Move podcast. I am Arman Kendri, and it is my job to simplify and demystify the habits, strategies, tactics, routines of the overachievers. And on today's episode, we have Miss Malani Agarwal. And if you haven't heard of her, where on earth have you been? Because she is literally everywhere, and it is a testament to her hard work. And that is where we started off on this podcast. We talked about she does so much. She is an entrepreneur. She's the founder of Miss Malini Blog. She is an influencer. She is a best-selling author. How on earth does someone do so much with their time? And in that section, we dive deep into her actual practices, habits, routines, and exactly how she schedules her day. So you're gonna wanna listen through the entire section to really be able to copy and paste that into your life. And the second major thing that we talked about in this conversation was her positivity. If you've ever been around Malini Agarwal or if you've seen her content or seen her on interviews, she is always positive. And that is a big factor in her success. And again, I'm telling you, you're gonna want to listen to this section. It comes toward the end of the conversation where she highlights how she stays positive and motivated so regularly. And what practices does she use to make sure she's in a good mood and make sure that she's also just giving back and not just thinking so much about herself. And that's something that we can all apply into our lives. And dude, this was literally one of the most action-packed and takeaway-driven podcasts that I've ever had the opportunity to be a part of. So you're going to want to get your notebook out, take some notes. I promise you, there's a lot to unpack from this conversation. And just a little word of warning, there's a little bit of a dog barking sound in the conversation. Bear with us, we're all working from home. We're trying to figure it out. So I hope it doesn't bother you. Uh, Trust me, you're going to want to push through it because there's some gems in this one. So without further ado, please enjoy a very wide-ranging conversation with Miss Malini Agarwal. Hey, Malini, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Arman. I'm really looking forward to this. It's an honor, and I wanted to start with this question because it was on my mind the entire time while doing research about you and basically the more i researched about you the more i wondered what the hell i'm doing with my time because you seem honestly you seem to be doing so much you know between writing a book social media businesses all this kind of stuff how do you prioritize what you do in your day and and what does your day even look like 
Um, that's a good question. First of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to do this. I really, you know, my day is really chaotic. There's no two days that are the same. And I kind of like it that way because there'll be days that I'm, you know, out at meetings doing like boss lady stuff. Days I'm on shoot, which I really enjoy doing. Although I hate the two hours of hair and makeup I have to do every time. And then there'll be days I'm sitting like in my pajamas, even more now in the lockdown, just writing on my sofa. Um, so to answer your question on how I manage, I actually luckily have an amazing life manager. She was my assistant. Now she manages me, Yansha, uh, who I think has been coordinating with you. And the rule is if it's not in my Google cal calendar, it's not going to happen. So my Google calendar looks like a blood bloodbath on most days. It's like something every 20 minutes. Um, so that's kind of how I manage. But I think I've really learned how to be a good multitasker. But if you ask my friends, my people, I have like 100 tabs open on my laptop at any given time. So it's probably not the most efficient way, but it is my way and it seems to work for me. That's, that's awesome. And I love the idea of a life manager. I haven't heard yeah. that before. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, exactly. So I think what, what I've realized more and more, especially in my line of work, is you need someone that really knows you well enough to know, like she can tell what my mood is off. She knows when I'm going to be like Devil Wears Prada or when I'm just having a chill day or I just want to recover after a big weekend. So I think that's really something everybody needs. I highly recommend having someone like that, but it's not an easy job. I think um, very few people can handle that kind of high pressure because I'm always sending her a hundred things to remember for me. So I really don't know how she does it, but one day I'm going to interview her and ask her what it's like. That, that is awesome. And yeah, she's completely on top of it. But so you, you have all these things going on, right? And it's on your Google calendar and it's filled up every single day. And I'm, I'm interested by the fact that you said 20 minute increments too. But how do you even decide on that day that I'm going to do a shoot today? I'm going to do blogging today. Where, do, where, where does that prioritization come in? So I actually learned a lot in the lockdown when I used to kind of be very ad hoc about stuff, but I decided that I was going to learn some new skills in the lockdown. One, because suddenly everybody was leaving the lockdown, having like become this professional, you know, fitness freak or cook or something. I was like, I need to do something. So I actually did a whole level of Spanish and I started doing yoga and that actually forced me to put in a block hour four times a week for something. And I was like, hang on, this is great. I should do this for everything. Um, so a lot of times shoots are dependent on shoot days and celebrities. So I have that in my calendar. Then there'll be certain days that I have set meetings. So every Monday I meet with my main A team to discuss content and what they need from each other. Then I have all sorts of management meetings. Um, now I started blocking in time because I'm writing my second book and I'm just not finishing it. So now I have four hours blocked out in a week to write. But Yansha always makes fun of me because I, I seem to gloss over that one thing because I can get away with it. Um, and in this book I've been writing now for a year, so I really need to finish it. But ironically, what happened is I started writing it last year and I decided to put like a small footnote about the, uh, you know, the pandemic because it had just started. And I'm like, oh, we're going to be in lockdown for three weeks. Cut two. I'm like, I need to rewrite my entire book now because of this. Um, so now what I do is I do schedule stuff. A lot of things will come up where, you know, I have to plan multiple interviews. Like Women's Day is a great example. There's so much happening that day. So literally, it's spaced out between key things that need to happen. Uh, today, I've actually pre-recorded a bunch of stuff. So a lot of it for me is also, if there's a certain day I'm getting hair and makeup, I'll try to knock off like 10 different things. Um, otherwise, it used to be like a daily thing. And I try, I realized I'm not a morning person at all. So my day usually actually only starts around 11 a.m. And then I'll work late. So what are you, that's interesting. What are you doing before 11 a.m. to get yourself going? 
I'm asleep. I nowadays I don't even <laughs> roll out of bed around ten. It's really bad. I know there's certain days when I have to shoot and I'll have to get up at six and go somewhere, which is like my worst nightmare. Um, but sometimes I'll get up early. My problem is like I stay up late, so uh, by the time I finish my work, it'll be nine or ten, and then I want to unwind. So I'll start watching a show or I'll start doing reading or something, and then it's already one. And then you know you get into that one more episode, and that's it. Suddenly it's like four a.m. Uh, so I'm trying to break that habit, but it's not easy. Uh, so I think that's kind of the reason. But I think I'm going to try to get back in a schedule where I'm, you know, up by eight or nine. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'll try. <laughs> that, no, but that's that's honestly awesome because you will constantly hear, you know, what we call, I guess, overachievers say, you know, you got to get up at five a.m. every single day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sacrifice yeah, sleep. I feel like, you know, on the days where you have shit sleep, you perform so much worse. And I guess every meeting that yeah. you have is worse. What, what, do you, what do you think about sleep? Yeah, I think sleep is really important. I mean, I'm a big fan of Ariana Huffington and she's written this whole thing about, you know, the sleep revolution. And, you know, I met, um, slipping my name right now, who, you know, wrote the 5 a.m. club. And I really want to be able to be someone who does all those things. But I think people just function at different times. Some people are at their optimum um, between like, for me, I think probably like 3 p.m. onwards, I'm really on point. I can get a lot of stuff done like right after lunch. So I think it's, you know, there's no hard and fast rule. I think it's everyone to themselves. What works for you may not work for someone else. I don't think you can force yourself to become a morning person. I have tried and it really doesn't work. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't beat myself up. I, it doesn't mean you can't be a overachiever if you don't wake up early. Right. And the other question I have is that since you have back-to-back -back meetings, right, especially talking to people, moving around, yeah. wherever you're going for shoots, how do you keep the energy up? Because everything I've seen you in, even in, I've been actually following your Instagram lives, you're getting on so many different interviews with so many different people, and you're always high energy. How are you doing that? You know, it's so funny. Everyone will say it's Red Bull, but I don't drink Red Bull through the day. Um, I think it's really, I, I guess it's just my personality to speak that way. I speak quickly. I speak high energy. And I think that when I am doing something, I try to give it my full attention. And I, I mean, I feel like a lot of times I am multitasking, but I think when I'm doing interviews and I'm talking to someone, I'm deeply engaged. Uh, and I think that's just a personality trait that probably comes out. I also feel like it makes such a big difference when you're talking to someone, if you're you know, it's body language and how you're responding, if you're smiling and all those things that I feel make such a big difference to the other person. So I think that just is something that's on autopilot for me. Very cool. And this is a question again, uh, sorry to push on this thread so much, but no why, do you, why do you do so many interviews? How come you're on so many podcasts, Instagram lives? What, what's the reason behind it? So there's a couple actually. One, I remember when I was starting out and I would try to get guests on my shows how much work it was and how hard it was and how, you know, it's important to support people who are doing these things. So that's one. Two, I think it's great. I mean, it's so, it's very humbling and it's a great, um, you know, sign of respect. And, you know, the fact that I've worked hard that anybody even wants to hear my opinion about things. And I think that it's, it's also a great way to continue to, you know, if you're looking at it as an entrepreneur to keep building uh, your profile and spreading your message. So I actually also write, a lot of guest articles every month I'll write guest articles for whether it's the Economic Times or Vogue, um, just to also keep relevant and, you know, have your, your voice out there. Now social media allows you to do it every day um, or even like micro blogging on Twitter. But there are certain places that you can only reach a certain audience that still are very much dedicated to a particular platform. 
So there's no harm doing that. And especially for me right now, when a large piece of my agenda is the girl tribe, the more places I can talk about it, the better. That's awesome. And, and we'll definitely get into the girl tribe later on. And so uh, this is, uh, do, are you on clubhouse? Are you guys girl you know tribe I was on clubhouse? actually going to start? I just haven't had time. Um, funnily enough, my iPhone is on its way from the U S with my brother-in-law. So I don't have that yet. So that's kind of actually what I'm waiting for. Yeah, it's, it seems to be growing a lot. And I think for, for your platform and, and the fact that you're constantly putting yourself out there, it's a great place to be. Yeah, I've heard really good things. So I kind of want to move on into a little bit of your, your story. And I know you, you've talked about this a lot before, but when you moved to Bombay, right, you said you were living in a six-person apartment, and we'll get into that. But do you think that if you're trying to do something in the influencer or podcast or YouTube, whatever kind of space, do you need to be in Bombay? Because 99% of my guests are there. You know, I don't know if you need to be in the city anymore, especially when you're looking at things like in the pandemic and the lockdown, people are working really hard from everywhere. In fact, my entire team is now spread out across the country. But initially, I think it made a big difference, especially when I got into the whole world of radio, um, but sorry, my dog is just coming. Let me just close the door. No um, sorry, do you want to just repeat your question for me? Yeah, so I was saying, do you have to move to Bombay to yeah, be yeah. in that space? I think it depends what you're doing. So for instance, if you want to get into the industry, like as a performer, you definitely have to be here. If you want to get into ad films and, you know, being talent, then you have to be here. I think for me, it helped because um, this is where you're going to see the most celebrities, right? So my job initially was writing about celebrities and interviewing them. So that does make it easier, but now you can do anything online. So like all my interviews this year have pretty much been on Zoom. So now I think the, you know, the whole landscape has changed, but initially I feel it made a big difference for me, especially because there wasn't anyone out of Bombay going out and doing interviews like that. You know, you had a lot of the big guys with giant video cameras and, you know, oh, sweaty and the, the mosh pit. Um, so I think I, I was kind of a new, sort of a new age kind of journalist for celebrities to meet. And that actually made them, feel a little more comfortable talking to one person as opposed to a non, you know, unclear who the person is or who's going to take responsibility for having written some gossip piece in a newspaper or magazine. So again, I, I want to go into your story, but since you do so many interviews and, uh, you know, we're doing this with podcasting, a lot of people are starting podcasts now. What do you think makes a good interview? What, what are questions that, that you have seen that have worked for you in the past? You know, I actually learned a couple of different things. One, in fact, I was interviewing Karan Johar and he said something so relevant. He said, you can go with a set of 10 questions and it's okay if you don't ask a single one of those. You should always base your question on what the person has said or some, you know, response they have given. And the other thing I've realized over time, and I'll give you an anecdote on it, is um, you should do your research just like you have on the person before you interview them. Because anyone can sit and ask them a laundry list of the usual generic questions like tell me your story. But if you have made the effort to learn something about them, it becomes a much more compelling conversation. So for instance, when I was interviewing Dipilka Padia on a podcast for Tenant, um, I had read a lot of her earlier interviews and very often people will forget something they've said in an interview and be most surprised that you know or remember it. And she apparently had taken pictures of her script in her vanity van and she was not supposed to. So she actually went full spy mode and had taken pictures so she could learn these long dialogues. And I asked her about that and she was so amazed that I knew this, even though it was something she herself had already said to someone else. 
So I think it's little things like that. People feel that you have made the effort, taken the time, you uh, have genuinely wanted them to be on whatever podcast or interview. So I think that that makes a big difference. And when you were, when you're doing, sorry, I'm going to keep going in different yeah, trails. No of thought. This That's is totally how my fine. mind works. That's um, fine. So when you're doing research for, mm-hmm. let's say a big interview, you're nervous about it. Yeah. How do you, what are you looking at? What are the things that you're looking for in your research? So for me, I try to keep it fun and easy because I think that long interviews when it comes to television or even social media tend to like become like a blind spot, especially when it comes to celebrities. So I try to find things that'll be a fun peg. I think we were some of the first people who decided to start playing average minute to minute games at home and, you know, stuff with celebrities. I have a new show coming out on OGT called Feed Up With The Stars, which is going to be similar. And we're going to play all kinds of like fun pandemic games where people have learned how to do crazy stuff at home. Um, But I think for me, it's really about uh, thinking about what is it that this conversation is supposed to be about? What am I trying to achieve from this? Am I trying to get people to know this person better? Am I trying to get some information out about a film or a project they're working on? Is it about a certain topic? Is it about women's rights or equality? So you think about what is your goal? What do you want people to leave with? Um, And then you you craft your conversation around that. And... How do you, so let's say you haven't met one of these celebrities before, right? Yeah. Again, you're intimidated. You have two minutes. They tell you you have two minutes with, you know, Shah Rukh Khan or whoever yeah. it is, right? How do you create a connection between you and the guest mm-hmm. so that they instantly feel comfortable? Because I've seen that in your interviews and they're going to expose, not expose, say things that they probably haven't said before. So I think one, you can fix a lot of stuff by throwing like huge amounts of positivity and, you know, uh, love at it. And I remember I was interviewing Rithik Roshan. I was a little nervous and I was just smiling at him and telling him, you know, I really like something that he had said in the past or just the energy. And people do, you know, bounce off that, you know, if you tell anyone that you really appreciate how much they do or their vibe, that will always, it makes everyone feel good. But I remember I was really intimidated when I was interviewing Amitabh Bachchan for the movie Pink. Uh, And he had come in wearing these pink sunglasses. And you never know when he's serious or joking. He's just that kind of person. And he had come in with this baritone voice. And he looked like he was angry, but nobody knew. And um, this guy, Deepak, was fixing his hair. And suddenly he was like, Deepak, stop. In this like big Amitabh Bachchan voice. And everyone was like, Deepak, stop touching his hair. And then I had to start this live interview on Facebook. And so I was like, hey, guys, we're here with Amitabh Bachchan. And it's live. And he says, why did you say, hey, guys, and not hey, girls? And I was like oh my God, this is the worst moment of my life. And he was right. And he was just having some fun because it was for the movie Pink. And I was quite nervous then, but ironically, I had actually uh, had a great backstory with him. So he's from Allahabad. And my father studied at the University of Allahabad and his father, Harivan Bachchan, was his professor at that time. And my dad had been like this huge nerd and had got this letter of recommendation handwritten by his father, which I had brought a copy of for him to sign as like a take home for my dad. And he was so, like, he was so moved when he read it. And I told him the story and he was like, yeah, this is my father's handwriting. And then he said that, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, and my father used to write a lot of these letters. He's like, I'm going to ask everyone who's gotten a letter from my father to send it to me so I can compile it as a book. Can I keep this? Now, of course, if he says, can I keep this? You don't say no, Ramitabh Bachchan. I was like, okay, well, sorry, dad. But it was just such a great, and he really warmed up immediately after that. So I think one is if you're feeling nervous, be honest about it. I always tell people that, um, you can be honest with, and because everyone will empathize. Everybody is scared of somebody else. There isn't one person in the world who's not intimidated by someone else. And just like when somebody's intimidated by you, 
you think like, oh, what, why are you intimidated of me? You need not be. So always think about that in reverse, that just like somebody would come up to you feeling scared, what would you tell them? And tell yourself that. Wow. And yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. You, you put out positivity, you make sure that there's something that they resonate with you. And that story with Amita Bachchan is, <laughs> is awesome. And you know what? I, I do do the exact same thing. I always say, hey, guys. And whenever I say it to a girl, I'm always like, shit, was that <laughs> the right thing to say? <laughs> yeah, we all do it. It's so funny. And now I'm starting to consciously make a change of not doing it. Um, but it's, I think it's just, and, it, and nobody means it badly. You know, it's just like one of the things we do. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I want to ask you about these, these pigeons when you move <laughs> to Bombay. Yeah. Okay. I, I think, I personally think the pigeons are the rats of the sky. They absolutely are. How, how did you, so when you first moved there to give people context, you lived with six people in a small place in Bombay and a pigeon. Um, yeah. the, the question here is why? Did you, because you, you grew up internationally, did you yeah. intentionally move to a place where you would be uncomfortable or was it just a matter of, I don't have the funds to live anywhere else? So, so I actually, so I grew up all over the world, as you know, and when I was 17, my father retired and then I moved to Delhi for six years. And I mean, it was kind of a culture shock for me because I was living this princess life of being the ambassador's daughter. And suddenly, you know, I come back and I was like, where's the pool? Where's the tennis court? And my mother's like, sit down, that's over. And now in hindsight, I realized, you know, how entitled and what a brat I must have been to even think that way. Um, and I loved being in Delhi. I went to school and college there, but I, you know, I came to visit a friend in Bombay once and it was just like out of the movies. I love the neon lights. Uh, I love the vibe, the black and yellow taxis you could jump into. And so I came for a weekend and then I stayed 20 years almost, which is crazy. Um, but when I came here, obviously I didn't have much money. I used to be a professional dancer. So I had saved up some 40,000 rupees, which goes really fast in Bombay. Um, and then I found a place to rent and there was like six girls to share with. And I was like, it's fine. It's like a dorm basically. But at night, this pigeon, I don't know how, would sneak into the house. And a lot of these girls were traveling. So I would be there alone. And it would start flying around the room, like in panic. And I'm like, why are you inside anyway? And you know, here you have these ceiling fans in India. And I thought it's going to hit itself on this fan and there'll be blood everywhere. So I used to sleep terrified under this bed sheet. And I think I remember going to my friend's house, the one girl I knew, um, crying, saying, I can't live like this anymore. And I think it was kind of motivating for me to get out and, and you know, then do something with, with my life. I always wanted to. I came to Bombay thinking I want to live a life that's less ordinary. I want my life to feel extraordinary no matter what I'm doing. Um, and I think it wasn't that I was purposely trying to be uncomfortable. I'm definitely uh, you know, a creature of comfort, but it was one of those things that I was willing to do. I, I didn't need a fancy house. I still to, to this day don't need a uh, fancy car or you know, all those things to be happy. Um, but I, I feel like it really showed me the trajectory of living this really posh life to living like this. It really makes you realize what's important um, and I think to this day, I feel like that wasn't the worst part of things that have happened to me. I, that doesn't bother me so much. It's just a funny story. And I think it's so interesting that, you know, before you become someone that anybody asks these questions to, it's just an anecdote that sits in your head. And I remember writing it in my book thinking, wow, I never thought that this would be a story I would put in my book. Um, but it's kind of cool. So I always tell people, like, always think of these little crazy things that happen to you because one day they might go into your book. That, that's amazing. And, and I heard you say on, a, on another podcast where it took you 10 years to become an overnight success. Yes. 
Yeah. And I and I love that. And so when you were in Bombay, what were you doing at first? And how long were you in that that apartment for? Oh wow. So I moved to Bombay. I've actually moved six times. That's the thing in Bombay, you you know, real estate is the toughest part. Um, mm -hmm. so I moved here and actually, so I had met a guy when I moved here, we're not together anymore, but I really credit him for that. So I'm really like a creature of emotion. So I, um, I followed love to some extent. I'm like, I'll always do what my heart wants, you know? So I was a professional dancer in Delhi. And then I decided that I was going to, you know, come to Bombay and get a real job. And so I started working for, I started working with my boyfriend at the time at a company called Activate Technologies. This is when all these little tech companies had popped up. Um, and we, we were working on, like, there's a local tabloid here called Midday, and we were working on a website for them called Chala Mumbai. And I was a content writer, so I was coming up with all the different sections and just all of that. Then we actually broke up, so I joined another company called Ideas for You. And get this, my job there was to write fake reviews uh, for a website about home appliances. So I would have to go to, like, this mall called Vijay Sales and look up, like, washing machines and dishwashers and look at things that I can write. And I remember thinking like, what am I doing with my life? And then after that, I, I managed to go for an interview at a, a company called Asia Content, which turns out, and the guy there was like, I'll be honest with you. I need someone to write romance content for the MTV website. I'm like, you're going to pay me to write about love. This is amazing. Um, and so that happened. And then um, midday. Uh, so yeah, so that happened. And then I basically, um, at one lunchtime while I was at MTV India.com, a friend of mine told me, hey, commercial radio is starting up in India. Why don't you audition? And nobody, there was only like one Doordarshan channel at that time or whatever the radio, All India Radio at that time. And so one lunchtime, I went for this audition. And that's why I tell people, you know, just things that can happen over one lunch break. It's amazing. And I went in and I auditioned and I, and I got the gig. Um, and so I used to work at MTV in the day. And then I would go home for a break and then I would do the, the graveyard shift from like midnight to 4 a.m. on radio while I was learning that. And then I switched radio jobs. I did, I did radio for nine years, which is why I like podcasting is all like very close to my heart. I always say radio is my first love and blogging was my marriage. Um, and then I basically, uh, the, the radio station was owned by the tabloid Midday. So they actually asked me to write a gossip column. Um, and in that, it was called Malini's Mumbai. So looking back, it's like the first iteration of the blog. It was just in print. Uh, and then I was on a trip with a couple of friends to Dubai. And I was complaining about how I write this column. But every time I submit it, they edit it down so much because they only keep which celebrity came with who. And uh, so this guy, um, Karan Wadera, told me, why don't you start a blog? And I remember saying, what, what's a blog? And he was like, oh, it's like this online diary, like Perez Hilton does. And I was like, but who reads it? And he said, uh, doesn't matter. And he went home and made me a WordPress account. And I remember like 2008, the 5th of May, I wrote my first blog. Um, and then I just loved the rush of it. It was just such a great feeling. So I used to do all these different jobs. I used to still work at MTV. Then I switched to Channel V and became their digital content head. I used to write the blog. I would write the column and I would do the radio show. So I was just doing like all these like different things. Um, and it all kind of came together. And then I remember thinking, all I want to do is write this blog. I want to, you know, quit everything else and just jump into this full time. And I think it's just one of those things where, you know, if you don't uh, fear, you can do anything. And I remember that I was working at MTV when I got that gig for radio and it wasn't a full time job. Um, and I kept saying, you know, should I quit my full time job and getting a regular salary? And the guy at radio, my old programming director, Aditya Patwarda, he said, you will make the biggest mistake of your life if you don't quit and enjoy this because you have a lot of talent for this. 
And I remember thinking like, okay, it goes against everything I've been brought up to think about having a, you know, full-time regular income, but I did it. Um, and I'm so glad I did. Otherwise I wouldn't be here at all. So I think that whole coming to Bombay and having that experience was meant to happen. But every time I've done that, it's when something scared me and I said, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. So now when something scares me, I'm like, I think I should do it. <laughs> That's amazing. So where was the blog at in terms of like readers, you know, you know, because the reason why I ask this is because let's say I'm starting this podcast where I yeah. start a blog tomorrow and I love it, but it's not, it, maybe it doesn't have any potential to sure. grow. So where was the blog at when you made that decision? Oh man, the blog was probably just about starting out. So it was 2010, I decided to do it full time. I don't know, maybe I had like five, 10,000 regular readers, but at that time it felt like a good, I remember throwing a party for my 1,000 Facebook fans. I remember I had a literal party at Hard Rock Cafe to celebrate a thousand. And back in 2008, it was a big deal. Um, so yeah, I, now if you look at the numbers, they're such a big, I would like it would laugh at anyone who'd laugh at the fact that we threw a party at 1,000 followers. Um, so yeah, it was very small at the time, but it was unique. And I remember that it meant something because the One Drop Find Foundation had gotten in touch from the U.S. saying we haven't found that many blogs from India, and would you, you know, cover this thing that we're doing? Um, you know, if they were doing some, something from outer space about you know water con conservation, and they said we'll send you a video camera in exchange. And I was like, what? You're going to give me a video camera to write a blog? And that's when I realized, like, there's something to this. That's crazy. And so the first year of blogging was probably just a lot of barters. You know, people would fly you around to places or give you, like, free clothes to write about them. Now it's a whole industry. But when I started, it was just very odd. And people would actually be very judgmental about, hey, why are you getting paid to write about something? And then I had to try to slowly explain to people that it's just like any magazine has advertising or any, you know, commercials come in, uh, television shows as well. Um, this is no different, but it was right at the beginning. So it was something new for everyone to sort of wrap their heads around. And so what was it, do you think, about the blog that resonated with people at the start? How did you even begin to get readers from zero? Yeah, I think, you know, what happened is, uh, so I had a little bit of a following because of my radio career, and I used to use Twitter back then as well. Um, and so then I started advertising my blog on social media, whether it was on my personal Facebook or Twitter. So people started picking it up. To this day, I don't really know how it took off. It's unclear what happened. Uh, but I remember um, I did radio for so many years. And I remember I was so upset the last day I did a show when I had to quit and move on. Um, and I remember thinking, gosh, I'm never going to be this happy again doing any other job. And I remember I put up the faders dramatically to like this Bombay Viking song, Bochali, and I left. And I was like legit upset for many weeks. And then I was still doing the blog, but I remember um, going to this like neighborhood dive bar and somebody asked me what I do. And I said, well, you know, I write a blog. And they said, hey, what's your name? So I said, Malini, and they had heard of the blog. And I felt that same crazy excitement that I used to feel when I met people and, and I told them I was a radio jockey and they said, oh my God, you're that Malini. There's something about that resonating. And I think what really stood out for me is a lesson I learned on radio. Um, my old boss there, Tariq Ansari, told me something amazing. He said, you know, when you're broadcasting on air and just like in this podcast, you might be broadcasting to millions of people, but everyone who's listening is having a very personal experience with you. 
six people in a car, each one is having an individual equation with the, the voice they're listening to, which is why we all think that our favorite radio jockeys are so good looking because in our theater of our mind, we have painted this incredible picture. Um, and I tried to take the same ethos to the blog. So instead of writing like news reports, I would write all my articles as letters to you. And I would address them as I would be addressing a friend with just a little more enthusiasm. My, my one thing that people told me on radio is pretend like you're talking to your best friend across the mic, but with a little more enthusiasm. And that was my brief for all my shows. And I think that's what I took to the blog. And I, I remember, and you know, I think this resonates with you. We, we've grown up all over the world. So we, we know what India's like and we know what it's like in other countries, but people have such a, you know, small limited understanding of India and it's not their fault. They watch National Geographic, they watch Slumdog Millionaire, and then they're surprised that you speak English well, you know? And, and I remember being in school in Greece in the fifth grade, and someone asked me if I go to school on an elephant. And I was like, that would be amazing. Can you imagine if I rocked up to school on an elephant? But no, that's not how it is. But that's how people, you know, they just don't know. Um, so I kind of wanted the blog to be that as well, sort of a documentation of what modern India is like. Because of course there are villages, of course there's poverty, but there is this whole bustling, new, hustling community of young India. We're the youngest country, you know, country in the entire world. Uh, and there's a lot happening here. So I kind of wanted to document that as well. Um, and so I created this Miss Malini anime that you see on my site, who kind of represents that desi person who dance with reckless abandon at their best friend's wedding, but also loves pop culture and travel and all these things. Um, but I also, you know, felt like it'd be cool to have an anime because she'll age better than I do and I'll leave a legacy behind. You know, she'll be that brand that's the equivalent of, you know, your, whether it your Oprah or Ellen, because we don't have that in our country. We have Amitabh Bachchan and we have Chota Bhim. You don't have that middle layer. Um, so, yeah, I think that was the thinking behind it. And, and I feel like it resonated. I, I guess there were a couple of turning points where since I started off with Bollywood, I remember there was a, a friend of mine who was visiting from the U.S., and he happened to have been on a Lufthansa first class flight back from the US. And he was like, we're eating dinner. And he's like, oh, you know, I saw, and he's half Indian. And he's like, oh, you know, I saw Katrina Kaif on my flight. And she was with somebody. And I remember dropping my fork. And I was like, with who? Because this is what I write about. And he's like, oh, I don't know, some guy. And then I Googled him and I was like, tell me who it was. And it was Ranbir Kapoor. And this is before they had started talking about their relationship at all. So I managed to write this piece about it and everyone was like so shocked. How did you know? And then it turned out it was true. So then other people started picking up content from my site and like little things. And I always tell everyone the best things happen on a Tuesday night at 3 a.m. Because I was out with some friends and we happened to walk into a bar and it was three by the time we're leaving. The lights come on. We're ready to go home. And suddenly the lights go off and the music starts again because Salman Khan has walked in. And he goes to the bar and hands his credit card and tells everyone to take their cards back and starts handing out bottles of champagne. And we took pictures with him. And we were the only ones who had those pictures. So the next day, all these tabloids have taken pictures of my blog and said, look, this is covered. So it's also right place, right time, which comes back to, yes, it helped being in Bombay to do this. Um, but I think those might have been also some turning points where people were like, how did she know that? I mean, it was all a lot of blind luck, but I guess that's how it happens. It's also because it's overnight, right? Like suddenly I have information I can post tomorrow as like today, as opposed to wait for the print run. Yeah. And just to go back on, on that point, when you were talking about if somebody, asked, when somebody asked you, if you go to school on an elephant <laughs> in college, I've been asked like, 
you know, did you guys use computers? Like, did you, was it all, you know, it's, and how do you speak English so good? Yeah, Th I, That kind of stuff definitely exists, you know, and I guess this does bridge the gap. And just to jump back into the content bit, right? When you were writing that content to somebody, what, what kind of factors are a part of that? So you're saying, hey, how are you even starting? Are you starting with a hey? And what kind of things within the content are you using to make it more personable? So I think what I tried to do is make it my personal experience, a fly in the wall experience. Because anyone can say, and that's what I saw when I came back, I saw a lot of data dumps of pictures. Like here's Aishwarya Rai at an event and 17 pictures of her, but I have no idea what happened inside or you know, what she was there for. Um, so I, and because uh, by virtue of having been on radio, I would get invited to a lot of these events. So I would go and I would write about it as kind of a, like what it was like for me. So I would say, I went to this event instead of this event happened. And I would say, here's what, and here's who showed up and this was interesting, or here's something I overheard. And at that point I did do a little bit of gossip. So there would be like something funny about, you know, uh, Arbaz Khan's bodyguard who was there and, you know, who he was talking to and just like funny things that you notice that you might tell a friend, but you don't normally put into a, an article news piece. And I think those are the things that resonated with people. And I remember thinking I was so amazed that I would write this stuff for myself thinking that's so funny. And people would say, oh my God, that was so funny. I'm like, wow, I can't believe that resonated. So then, and I realized that, you know, a lot of times all of us feel so insecure about being 100% ourselves. Like case in point, all the influencers now, like Lily Singh, for example, has these really fun catchphrases or anyone in India does as well. And earlier, you know, like if she says like, what's in the combo, you, she would never have started off thinking like, oh, you know, that's a catchphrase I'm going to use and it'll be funny. I started saying to the moon because I, I used to love this movie, Catch Me If You Can. And the guy always said to the moon. It doesn't make any sense because we're way past the moon now. But I mean, I literally have a tattoo of it and, and a rocket. And I was like, so it was amazing that, you know what, we are so uh, uncomfortable or so hesitant to be our full selves and say the things that we think are funny in our minds. But if we did, that's what makes us unique. And the influencer landscape proves that so well, because what's resonating are these quirky things about people, the things they're saying. Look at like PewDiePie, like who would have thought he'd become like the world's number one YouTuber, but he never started off thinking, I'm just going to say this, or I'm going to, you know, make my name PewDiePie and it'll resonate. Um, so I think that's what it was. And I think that's kind of what really um, stood out for me. And then I started being more unabashedly myself. And I think what was, I think, a little bit net savvy of me at that time was that I would really use social media to amp up my blog game and do snippets there and say, hey, if you want to know about this story, click and see my blog. Um, because I was part of the 2003 first dot-com boom. And I remember reading this amazing book called Dot Gone, I think. Um, and it was how, you know, at that time there was no social media. So all of us were living on our little islands, making great content, but nobody knew about us. So it's like, you know, it's like you're having a party, but you didn't invite anyone. Right. Uh, but now it's social media. You can tell everybody what, you, what you're doing. And that's what the big difference was, this uh, ability to connect where people are. And I always give people this analogy right now. You have to go to where the party is if you're selling a brand, um, but you have to stop short of just promoting yourself. So. Again, you know, I, I, I'm writing my second book on this topic is that we behave so differently online than we do in real life, right? We behave, like imagine if you do, did what, what you do online in real life and you just, you know, posted pictures or videos of yourself. It's like going to someone's house, putting up pictures of yourself and leaving without talking to anyone. 
And you don't want to be that guy, right? Like you want to be someone who's, and the one people that you remember are the ones that came and asked you about you or showed some interest in, because everybody likes to talk about themselves. So be someone who listens, that makes you more memorable. And I think that that's something that I, I always tried to do. I always tried to respond to all the comments that came in, all the things that I think have become hygiene now, um, just by virtue of, of treating my social media or my blog as an interact, interactive experience. Be someone who listens. That'll make you stand out. I, I really love that, actually, because you're so right. Like, everybody, everybody just wants to talk. Um, do, you, do you do that when you go to parties? Are you more of the listener than the talker? So I, I definitely have had to learn this over a lot, a lot of time. I'm very impatient, so I tend to interrupt people even though I don't mean to. So now I pause. Um, I also read some great books that say, uh, be someone who listens, not just wait for your turn to talk. Because a lot of us do that. You know, we, it's a habit to be like, oh, I thought of something and I'm just going to keep remembering that so that I don't forget it. And then you end up missing what someone says. It's okay to forget what you were going to say because it's more valuable to have heard what the other person is saying. And I think it's just um, a matter of, you know, it just took a lot of time. I've also read so often that you never learn anything from being the one who talks. You only learn from listening. And the best leaders are the ones who say the least. These are all things I'm saying now. By no stretch of the imagination have I done this always and even to this date. Um, but I think it, it makes a big difference. I do definitely make an effort to get to know people and ask them questions because you may not have noticed this, but most people will ask you a question that they want to answer themselves. So they'll say, hey, what did you learn in the lockdown? Because they want to tell you what they learned and not in an obnoxious way, but that's something that they're proud of. And how else will they get that conversation started? Um, so whenever someone asks that question, I say, what did you first? Like, why don't you tell me first? Um, and very often I'll, like one thing I've learned, you know, when you, people are on a panel or they're interviewing, or even like in, in this case where we're talking to each other, you'll ask me all these interesting questions, but I'd love to know your answers to them too. You know, like for instance, what are, what are the things that you do to make your podcast interesting? Like how do you decide what you're going to ask your guests? Then I'll learn something too. And now you have to answer the questions. <laughs> so I think I, yeah, that is a very great question. And I think what has worked really well for this show is to constantly keep asking the guests I mean, not the guests, the audience, what they're looking for and who they want to have on. And then when I do that, I also ask them for questions. So a few of the questions that I've asked you have actually come from people and that makes them feel like they're part of the conversation. So, so that really works well for me. I think this is the first time I've been asked a question on the <laughs> podcast. So you, you have me, you have me a little bit backed up. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Awesome. So um, I, I wanted to dive deeper into this listening thing because I think that's so interesting. So when you, when you were young and you, not saying that you weren't young, I'm saying when you were, when you were like in your, your yeah. 20s starting off in this career and you're going into these parties with all these big names, right? It's probably so nerve wracking. How did you settle in and, and network and what, did you, how, what was that experience like? It was uh, horrifying sometimes because, you know, I would go in and not know anyone um, and then just sort of be like, I didn't know how to dress the part. I didn't do hair and makeup. So I would go in and like, if I look back now, I'm like, oh my God, like, what was I wearing? But I think nobody expected me to be a certain way because there was no concept of influencers now that are also slick and stylish. Um, so I was definitely shy, but I feel that um, when you go in with a certain like, okay, I'm going to go and ask them this question and I'll say it's for my blog. 
the PR network and machinery is really well into place already. So if they know you're coming from radio or for your blog, they give you a time slot of like three minutes or five minutes to go and ask your questions. And you do that. And with me, what would happen is that they would all be so surprised that I'm this journalist that's come along for a blog. They're like, what's a blog? They don't understand, but their PR is said, do this. It's good. Now it's growing business. Um, and I think it's little things, right? I think I was not asking them something intimidating. I would try to ask them a fun question. I would do my research. Like you said, it very much resonates with me that I always ask people what they want to know. It's that one degree of separation. You know, like if I'm one degree of separation between you and Shah Rukh Khan, then you will be like, oh my God, like he answered my question. And, you know, so I'll always make an effort to use their name when I'm like, hey, so Ankit asked this question. Um, so I think that was definitely intimidating initially. But I think over time, I began to realize that they're actually just regular, normal people as well. And I still remember I'd gone to um, do a video uh, for IFA, like behind the scenes, I was interviewing all the stars. And it was so cool to see, although it takes like eight hours to shoot, you just see like an hour show. And these guys were there till four in the morning, you know, like Anushka, Ranveer saying all of them are there. And it was so sweet to see how they interact because I know Anushka was nervous about her performance. So Ranveer Singh was backstage watching her on the screen, every move to support her. And I remember I was sitting with Malaika Arora and she was sitting in this beautiful white dress and I was talking to her. And as I was speaking to her, Deepika Padukone came past, kissed me on the cheek and walked away. And I was like, oh my God, did that just happen? Because she had read some nice blog I'd written. And I was like, wow, they're so nice. And I think because we always made a rule that I'm never going to write something I can't say to your face. Um, so I never said any random, you know, bitchy things unnecessarily about people. And I think that takes the pressure off them as well, that I'm not going to twist one sentence they've said into some sensational clickbaity headline. Um, but again, these are not things I knew. I, I've definitely learned all of these the hard way. That is very amazing. Cause I, I can't even imagine it to be honest, because if you're going and you're, you're seeing all these people, I, I can only help but imagine that you'd be so intimidated and just making your way through that room. That is awesome. Um, I want to ask you, as we lead into some of the final questions, is do you have a favorite setback in your career that at the time you were like, shit, this is awful, or it can be in your personal life as well. But when you look back, it's actually been very beneficial for you. Um, gosh, I think there's a bunch of different things. I think for me, probably the biggest setback has been, um, I'm trying to think whether personal or professional. Uh, okay, so I'll tell you. So I have mm -hmm. like, um, so I think what, what happened with me is that I learned the hard way that you have to be, you have to have a lot more, um, as I say in India, Tehrao, you have to have patience before you, like, I don't think before I speak in a work environment. And I think I lost one of my business partners early on, not even early on, but midway, because I didn't, because I was so upset by something that they said that I, I let that relationship or I let that fall apart because I was like, oh, I, but I'm right. And even if I was right, um, I think I was right. I didn't give them enough chance to see, see what, what they were upset about. Um, and everybody has some reason or motivation that's upsetting them, right? And you can go blue in the face saying, but it's not my fault. But if someone is still upset by something, you have to step back and try to understand what the cause is. Um, and very often it could just be a random misunderstanding. And I think that I realized then that I would, you know, um, you, I would keep pushing that saying, no, but I, to justify myself because you don't want to feel bad about yourself, you know? So I think I've learned now over time that even if I feel that I'm right about something, I will try to get to the 
understanding or motivation of what is upsetting someone else. Um, and it's even, I have another example of this. I remember on, I was hosting the red carpet at, at IFA, I think it was in New York or something. And um, there was, I was supposed to interview like five A-list stars, so like Salman and a couple other people. And so I was just doing my job. I was just doing those five and then the rest of the people were walking by and my team was doing social media. And I remember this singer came up and my team was like, okay, I'll do some social media. And she was like, you're not going to interview me. And I was like, well, you know, she's not on my list. I'm like, no, just, you just need this picture. And I remember she went back and tweeted saying, well, you know, how offensive and why didn't you interview me? And I remember apologizing, saying, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. Why don't we do something at my studio when you're here? And she's like, no, I don't want to do anything with you. So obviously she was getting escalated and triggered by it. But I thought I was doing the right thing by saying sorry. But I realized later, and I put it in one of my TED Talks, that I said, um, you know, very often if you, if you want to say sorry to someone and you were doing it in, in real life, you wouldn't call a crowd over and say, hey, look, look at me apologizing. You would probably take that person aside, understand what upset them and say sorry. So um, if you're without justifying it. So if you're sorry, then you're really sorry. Uh, if, you're, if you're otherwise, you're just sorry you got caught or you're just embarrassed. So it's really important to make that distinction. And then I realized that I should have just stepped back because I just made it worse for her in her mind if someone is just being really nice about something after it just makes her look like she's ranting. So I realized that. And now if something happens, I take the conversation offline um, and I don't feel the need to justify myself in front of everybody. And if someone had something to say, the people who matter will know what's right. And those that don't, we'll probably forget about it the next day. How do you, how do you maintain your, your relationships, right? Because again, you have so many um, celebrities, I'm sure founders, influencers, how do you make sure that you're in touch with them and that they constantly feel connected to you? Um, I think it's a lot of work. Definitely. I think that my team keeps telling me I'm too accessible because everyone has mm -hmm. my phone number. I've changed my phone number once. They're trying to get me to do it again because every PR person I think in the country has my number now. So I, what I try to do is try to maintain a relationship outside of just asking them for work or asking them for an interview and just check on them or just say happy birthday or whatever without agenda. Um, and I think I've been really lucky in terms of, you know, people have been very welcoming. And I think because I don't think I was in competition with a magazine or a newspaper or a TV channel, I was doing something different. They were all very happy to collaborate. And I'm a big believer in collaboration over competition because you can, you know, do some work together and then you'll have the audience of both the people, the creators following both of you, as opposed to with what used to be the old blinders on, I'm the only one that's important in this industry. Uh, so it, it does take work. You really have to maintain relationships. You have to, um, I guess, be a little diplomatic. I definitely have had to be diplomatic in certain cases. And we've taken a call in some situations, you know, when the whole Kamana Rithik drama was happening and it was getting really messy and it was getting very unnecessary. Um, you know, it, it wasn't kind anymore. It wasn't just fun gossip. It became too much and it became a lot of slut shaming and all those things. So then we, I wrote a piece saying I'm no longer going to cover this from a gossip angle at all. If anybody wants to release an official statement, we'll only be carrying those because it's not fair to make every piece of someone's misery of the headline. And it's great to hear today. I heard that a lot of other publications said they wish they had done that too. Um, but yes, we lost a lot of views, I'm sure, by not doing clickbaity stuff. But at the end of the day, I feel like I, I sleep better knowing that I didn't use people like that. 
That is very interesting because I, I guess that's kind of your dichotomy always. Yeah. It's views versus what's right for, for me and my business. Yeah. I th so I want to ask you one last question before we go into what you're most excited about now, which is what question do you think that you don't get asked that you feel you should get asked more? I, did did that come across that's, correctly? Yeah, that's it. It's so funny because I ask people this question all the time. I always ask them, what would you ask yourself? Mm -hmm. um, I think, I guess, I guess, I don't know if people don't ask me, sorry, is my dog too loud in the background? Yeah, he's a little bit loud. Yeah, let me just see if I can get him. Sorry, I'm going to try to give him a snack so he becomes quiet. No um, problem. Sorry, go I, ahead. Yeah, I think, well, that's such a great question. I think for me, I think maybe, um, I guess the question I probably want to answer is, is why do I do what I do, right? And I think a lot of times people might think I, I do it because it, you know, for money or just to get to hang out with celebrities and you know all of that and and I think that uh, the real answer to this question is that I do what I do because I feel that you know time is passing all of us by and nobody's really documenting the good stuff and I realized this during the pandemic as well that you know we spend so much time waiting for something to happen and now the pandemic has put a pause on everyone's lives like hey what if there's no future what if you are just right now and that's all that matters? Um, and we are always hustling and moving so fast that we don't really get a chance to stop and think about the things that we enjoyed, right? We're always looking for the next rush, some next anticipation. But I feel that what we try to document um, are the good things, the positive things. And I think that makes a big difference. And that's kind of why we even created the whole concept of the Girl Tribe and, and a happier, kinder internet. And I think especially when it comes to entertainment content, or even fashion and beauty content, people tend to prey on negativity, the fashion policing, you know, you're not fair enough, you're not, you know, in shape enough. And I think that it's, you know, for all of us, we're so privileged, like my internet worked during the lockdown. Like, I mean, people didn't have food to eat and we're just complaining that we can't go to a bar. Um, and so instead of us spending so much time doing negative, you know, spreading ne negative energy or writing gossip about other people or tearing each other down, isn't the onus on us, on, you know, if not us, then who, to make the world a better place, to throw some positivity into it, to add something of value. Um, and so we kind of decided that we're going to do something which is in the positive bent, being happy, shiny content creators. And I was really happy to see that there were takers for it because the assumption is that nobody wants to hear, you know, happy, shiny stories about celebrities. Everybody wants to hear all the, the you know, the, the raunchy stuff. Um, and I think that was kind of my agenda for it. Like, why can't we make our agenda of positivity? And why can't we, now today, why can't we make a kinder internet? It's never too late. Just because people are used to eating a certain meal doesn't mean that they won't try something new. Um, you know, so I think that's kind of why I do it. That is amazing. And, and one follow-up question onto that is, I, I've heard you say that your one-word bio is positivity. Right. How do you keep positive, let's say when you feel like shit or you know, something's bad has happened, do you meditate? Do you, what are your positive habits basically? I mean, um, and I'm going to make you do your one word bio in a second. I think that it's, <laughs> it's, for me, it's really the people I'm with, the energy I surround myself with. So if I'm having a really bad day, I'll make a plan for like game night with my best friends. And I'm not always happy, shiny. If you ask the people closest to me, I can be a super grouch at times. Um, I'm a Gemini, so I have two individual distinct personalities and 
you know, people only get to see on the outside, the happy, shiny one, but rest assured, the other one exists. Um, but I think for me, it's really, it's not even so much about me as it is about the other person. I think that whenever I'm speaking with someone or doing something, I feel that they are putting such good energy out and engaging with me that it automatically, you know, bounces off with me. Now I'm going to make you do your one word bio. I actually learned this at Malaysia Social Media Week, where they said, the best way to find a filter for all your content or whatever you do, even as an individual, is to find your one word bio. Now, how do you find your one word bio? It's not necessarily what you think it might be. Think about all the books you read, uh, the people that you're friends with, um, the topics that you're interested in, the movies that you watch, the songs that you like, and think about a word that you find in common, whether it's adventure seeking or thrills or whatever it could be, solitude or meditation, you will find one word that is in common. So what is that for you? I think uh, that's a very um, thought-provoking question, but I think, you know what, it's, it's probably discipline because that's something that, you know, growing up in, in an international school, you get away with a lot of shit. And that was me until I was 22. Yeah. And I think the change toward, you know, anything that I, I have in my life is yeah. in discipline. So that's a very interesting realization I've come to on this podcast. Nice. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that's a great one. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Awesome. And I just want to end on, you were talking about Girl Tribe and Girl Tribe, how it's so important to you. Could you go into it a little bit? What, what are you, what are you doing? I was going to say, what are you guys doing? And then I realized <laughs> that is the wrong word to yeah. use. What are you girls doing? So basically this started off, um, so I like to try out new things when different platforms do them. So Facebook had just launched Facebook groups a couple years ago. So I was like, okay, I'll make a group. And I was like, should it be about Bollywood or fashion? And I was like, you know, well, Women's Day was just, had just gone around the corner. And I was like, why don't I make a group for girls? And I added a hundred of my girlfriends. And I realized that we would just talk about everything. Um, and I always find this, this troublesome concept of women's issues, where if women's issues are considered empowerment, rape, and menstruation, and nothing else is a woman's issue. When it is, like nobody says men's issues are a specific thing, right? For us, it's work, it's travel, it's luxury, it's mental health, it's relationships. Everything is a woman's issue or an issue for an individual. So this is a group that wasn't just talking about being a mom or just talking about, you know, empowerment. Because very often women don't need to be empowered. They just need people to get out of their way. You know, like we, we got this. Um, and we would talk about all sorts of things. And then just rapidly over like the next year, like 60,000 women joined this community by word of mouth. And I realized that a couple of things happened, right? You come online thinking that, oh, wow, I'm now going to be able to connect with 3 billion people online, and this is going to be amazing. And you go online and you create social media platform posts and nobody responds, and you feel even more lonely. When social media was meant to be a way to amplify your ability to connect with people on a scale, that's not otherwise humanly possible. I can have, you know, millions of friends online and talk to them in various WhatsApp groups, uh, but I can't keep that up in real life. But I'm not able to do that online as a woman because especially in India, there's 10 guys talking to himself in my DMs, getting all kinds of sexual you know, messages, or, you know, and I can't unsee a lot of the stuff I see. And as a result, I'm probably missing a ton of interesting conversation or connections. Um, so I wish that one day that it's possible to have a tribe that's not just girls um, because there's enough positive masculinity like you out in the world. But unfortunately, we're not there yet. So we just made it a women's community and we just enabled people to have conversations. The premise is empathy, kindness, and positivity. And you can 
agree or disagree, but if you disagree, you have to disagree respectfully. Our number one goal and rule is that you must behave online as if you're talking to someone who's standing in front of you. And whether you're doing it because you're a kind and polite person or because you're embarrassed to behave poorly in front of someone in real life, it will really check your behavior. behavior. Um, and over time, it's really evolved and we decided that we wanted to create great experiences. So I tried to marry my connections with relationships with celebrities to connecting them to real people. So for instance, instead of asking Shilpa Shetty about her you know, marriage, we did a yoga class where girls from the tribe could come and have that experience. These are things we could not buy for any amount of money. Um, during the lockdown, we've had virtual happy hours with everyone from Arjun Kapoor to you know, uh, Rahul Khanna online where people have dialed in from all over the world. So their memory of the pandemic is not going to be the pandemic. It's gonna be like, oh my God, I was chatting with Arjun Kapoor you know, in, in, in a Zoom chat. So all these things, and now we've also launched the Girl Boss Spotlight where we're getting female entrepreneurs a chance to connect with each other because a lot of young businesses have begun, like a lot of home entrepreneurs and a lot of women who couldn't go back to work because they had kids are now able to do it from home. Um, and so, we, you know, so you can actually talk about all these different things. So we actually just launched the app, which is Girl Tribe by Miss Malini, and the app actually lets you do a lot of different things. The real key thing on the app is I'm trying to get people to unlearn how social media works. Right now, it's all about likes and followers. We don't see the people, we see a number. And how many people in the numbers of likes that you get, do you even know the name of or who they are or where they're from? So we flipped it on its head. And on the app, there's no likes or followers. There are positivity points, which you can earn by commenting on someone else's post in a meaningful way, by starting a conversation. And then you can redeem those points for actual products and experiences. So you can buy gifts and makeup and all, all kinds of like experiences. You can buy a girl boss spotlight listing for free, just using points you have earned with your positivity. And I'm hoping that this will be a shift. My great goal is to get, make this the Facebook for women eventually. Um, and it's also a great place to search each other's recommendations instead of Googling something here, I'm searching or asking 60,000 women their opinion on what product I should buy or what course I should take it's more likely to be a genuine recommendation than someone who's been paid to sell you something. Um, so that's kind of the goal of it. Most, you know, I, I open that app more than I open anything else now. Because if you think about it, what is, you know, so LinkedIn is, is you know, like business, right? Business where you, where you talk about networking. Twitter has become, you know, some place to just have small conversations with yourself or with other people. Facebook is where my aunts and uncles are now. It's just a way to keep connected with that. Instagram is kind of like a window shopping of each, of each other's lives. Where are you going to make real friends anymore? There isn't anywhere. You know, these great apps like Clubhouse and stuff have launched, which have a purpose where you're connecting and listening to important conversations. Where do women go online today to make friends? Nowhere. So that's kind of what we're trying to create. Wow. And, and have you fully switched from Facebook? And I know we're a few minutes over, but have you fully switched from Facebook to the app now? So we're trying to use everything. I still, again, believe you have to be platform agnostic because tomorrow some platform might disappear. But we use the Facebook group and Instagram to promote the app. And we still have a lot of conversations in the group just by virtue of having so many women there. But we're trying to make that happen everywhere. And the app is kind of a tool. We're still going to, the community is going to be like my virtual soul house for women, which could eventually have physical clubs. It could have real life meetups. Um, and so I'm, I'm not really fussed about having that group closed. I definitely want to keep in encouraging women because it is tough to get people to start adopting a new app, to get that real estate 
uh, on your phone. Why will someone put a new app there? It has to be as relevant as an Uber or you know, or whatever food service you have. Um, but I think it's getting there because I think it's going to be your virtual best friend for women on an app. Wow. And I think, again, you girls would love Clubhouse because Clubhouse, honestly, it's, it's does a lot of what you say, because when you're on that app, you can't have negative conversations because your face is there and you're speaking. So to be able to do that, you know, nobody will do that. Like, yeah, it's a good self-check. Yeah. So I think Clubhouse will be great, but so how can people download this app? How can people join the Facebook community? Where should they go? Yeah, so the app is on iOS and on Android. Just go for, look for Girl Tribe by Miss Malini. Um, and the Facebook group is called Girl Tribe by Miss Malini. And it's Malini's Girl Tribe on Instagram. And yeah, you can reach us anywhere. And if anybody has any questions, everybody can have my email address. It's Malini at MissMalini.com. You can reach out to me anytime. Amazing. And all those links will be in the description box below. And the last thing is, where can people follow you? So it's at Miss Malini for all my work handles and at Malini Agarwal, that's M-A-L-I-N-I-A-G-A-R-W-A-L across everywhere on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Thank you so much, Malini. I really, really love this conversation. I did too. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And everybody, thank you for listening. Leave a comment, leave a question, send Malini an email. I'm sure she'd love to get back to you. See you all in the next one. Thanks, guys. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 